Welcome to this podcast, Steps to Freedom. I'm Sharon King. And I'm Don Hennessy. This is a podcast that explores the problems and solutions of intimate male abuse. The aim of this podcast is to hopefully give people the tools and knowledge to recognise, survive, escape and recover from intimate abuse. We want to give hope, understanding and the tools to people so that they can escape and or avoid this situation. And for the people who are not experiencing it to recognise it and be part of the solution. And we'd like to encourage everybody to be part of the solution, not just the people who are involved in an immediate way, because this is a worldwide problem. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our new podcast, which is called The Steps to Freedom. My name is Sharon King, and I'm joined by my co-host, Don Hennessy. Don is a best-selling author who has published several books on the topic of abusive intimate partners. Don is the former director of the National Domestic Violence Intervention Agency and a counsellor who has helped hundreds, if not thousands, of women throughout Ireland escape horrendous situations and build them back up to the women they once were before they came in contact with their abusers. It's a privilege to work with Sharon and I'm delighted to be part of this podcast. My aim is to explain the guys who behave in this way in a a language that we can all understand. And hopefully, once we can understand them, we can then respond to them accurately. The aim of this podcast is to hopefully give people the tools and knowledge to recognise, survive, escape and recover from intimate abuse. We think it is vitally important people have the tools to recognise if they are in an abusive relationship, how to escape it and how to stay safe how to deal with abuse after you leave and also have a programme of rehabilitation to build yourself back up and find the person you really are, not the person your abuser convinced you you were. We also aim to help people who may or may not have been abused, but who support and work with people escaping these situations, be it family, friends or support workers. And Don, I'll pass over to you now. Thanks, Sharon. Yeah, my name is Don Hennessy. Uh, The reason why I'm here today is, first of all, because Sharon is a very persuasive woman (laughs) and she has a huge uh, desire to make an influence and make a difference for women who are being abused throughout Ireland. And we hope together that we will make some bit of inroads into this epidemic that is surrounding us all, uh, a hidden epidemic, a bit like COVID. You can't see it, but it's there. And it is having a huge impact on the lives of many families throughout the country. I have been working in this area for over 30 years. And I suppose, I don't want to say I'm unique, but I don't know of anybody else who's come at it from where I've come at it, in the sense that I have been studying the abusers for 30 years or more and have written some books on who they are and how they operate. And while most other people in the response section of our community have listened to the women and have been influenced by their experience, people seem to shy away from trying to figure out who the men are and how they operate. So that's part of the reason why I'm here, is to explain to the wider audience how these men get away with what they do. Now, hopefully we will be talking to three different levels of audience. The first and most important are the people who are in the situation, women who are currently being abused, 
We would like to make some kind of inroads into their lives without anybody else being aware of it, talking to them in a way which will be helpful to them. Uh, the second category are the women who are emerging or have just emerged from the abusive situation because it is quite difficult to regain their place in the world. And sometimes they're treated as kind of damaged people when I don't believe that there's any harm done. It's just that they have hidden themselves away, the real person, and they've hidden themselves away for maybe years, And but that can, they can re-emerge just like a caterpillar and a butterfly. So I'm hoping that the women who come out of these relationships will become butterflies again and take their own place in the world. And the third area that we would like to address in the podcast will be the people who want to help women who are in these abusive situations. And that includes all the uh, we call them the NGOs and uh, charitable organizations, but also the statutory groups such as Tusla and the Gardaí and the legal system. So we would like to address all of those as well uh, within our process. I think it's very timely today to be uh, putting this podcast on the air. Uh, recently, we've had a, a whole new policy issued from the Department of Justice Minister McEntee has launched a new program which is built on four different pillars. Uh, they're called protection, prevention, prosecution and policy. And we hope throughout our programs to explore these aspects of our response and how to encourage people to develop useful practices and procedures that will work better than what has been happening up to now. Our really sad part about being here today is that even though women being abused in their own relationships have been known about for hundreds of years, people used to say when I was a kid, uh, see that woman there, now she's a hard time with her husband, but that's as much as was said. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how it impacted on the guys, I their, their children that I used to play with and that kind of thing, but I heard it said. And gradually over the years, women began to take a more public position and set up refuges and support services which were to help these women. But what we want to see now and what the minister is promoting is we want to see services that protect the women. And that is a very, very different position than just support and understanding. So this is the, the way forward, we believe, for the problem and for the families. What is really interesting is that uh, quite recently, a drug response community in Dublin were interviewing women who had abuse who were abusing drugs and had problems with addiction with drugs and vast majority of these women came from homes where either their parents were abusive or whether their spouses were abusive and that shows how the problem of intimate abuse actually has a knock-on effect on families for generations to come so we need to put a halt to that we need to intervene in a way which breaks the cycle. And hopefully in this podcast, we will do things 
and suggest things that will be helpful in that area. Also, hopefully, we will get people to question us and send in their questions to us so that at, at the end of the day, we can actually be helpful to people in a particular predicament and we can focus our responses to help them. So it, it really is extraordinary that having been writing books and appearing on radio and TV for 30 years now, that I can safely say that up to today, our response hasn't really improved and our attitude to women in this predicament is still the same in that we keep on hearing, well, why doesn't she do something about it? This podcast hopefully will set in train a response which says, what can we do about it? And especially I would appeal to men because it's a man's problem. It's men who are generating the difficulty and hopefully over the next couple of weeks and months, we will get a response from men who want to do something about it. So that is our aim. That is my hope for being here. One of the most common questions I think women get is why didn't you just leave? You know, which um, people don't understand how difficult it is to leave when you're in that situation, how dangerous well, the, the question for me, why don't, why doesn't women leave, shows a complete misunderstanding of the men, because that's the reason why women don't leave. It, it, they, the men who are so skilled that they can behave very badly to their intimate partner and find that their intimate partner is still there tomorrow, that is a huge skill. And these skilled offenders... They operate in a way which is quite hidden, quite covert. So the woman herself doesn't see what's going on around her. She doesn't understand what his agenda is. She is convinced that it's love and affection and that eventually when she gets the hang of being in love, when she understands what it's like to be in love with a man, that she will eventually make it work for both of them and maybe if they're interested to have children and build a family as well. But it's, it's, that's not his agenda. His agenda is completely different, but is very hidden. And I don't know, people tell me that, you know, why doesn't she run away or why doesn't she leave? It's not her problem. It's his ability that manages to persuade the woman that, first of all, that the reason why he misbehaved was her fault. Yes. And secondly, that if there's to be any change, it's not his behavior, but her behavior yes. that needs to improve. And, and that is the fundamental, I would call it, foundation stone of an abusive relationship. When a man meets a girl for the first couple of times, he, he's not going to say that to her. He's not going to tell her that she's a stupid bitch or anything like that. He's going to be all nice and polite and loving and caring. But right from the beginning, he starts the process of undermining the woman's own confidence. He starts to demolish her femininity and her humanity in very subtle and but very deliberate ways. Chips away at the confidence. Yeah. He, he chips away at the confidence. He challenges it when it's suitable to challenge it. 
And if he gets it wrong at the beginning, he apologizes. He can even cry. Some of these guys are really good at acting and they can, you know, say, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Then you get the chocolates and flowers and whatever else. But bit by bit, he monitors his uh, progress so that within six months, he has established what I call the terms and conditions of the relationship. And without having written it down, and she doesn't know how she learned it, but she's absolutely certain after six months, if I do this, this is what's going to happen next. And she has not alone the breaches of his conditions, but she also knows the sanctions. If I do this, he get very cross. He might be uh, intimidating or he might go to the pub or he might just... The repercussions uh, and the punishments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the repercussions and the sanctions are suggested and defined without the woman knowing where she heard them, but she knows them. That is the foundation then when she's aware, I can't do this because he will get upset or I will be blamed or whatever other way she interprets it. Actually, it's extraordinary, but she spends all her time looking at him and trying to figure out how can I keep him from getting upset. And once she begins to think like that, she forgets herself. She dedicates herself to keeping him calm, to keeping him peaceful, to not being hurtful to him in any way, to not saying something that he told her was stupid or that he didn't like or giving him something to eat, which he thought was horrible. Yeah. It's extraordinary how detailed this control is. It's set up by a million small things. It's not the big outbursts of roaring and shouting or even uh, physical assault or rape. It's actually the small, subtle things that go on every day, day in, day out. Yeah, and that's the things that I think people don't realise. You're always you always see the you know the on television or in media or whatever you know the the aggression, the anger, the outbursts, mm. the the violence. But it's the little day by day picking away. That's that's the stuff that really needs to come to the forefront. Well, well, when I work with groups of these men at the beginning, you have twelve to fifteen of them in a group, and not alone did they admit to that, uh, but they also did it to each other in the group. So they always separated themselves out. So I'm not like these men here, (laughs) like uh, they shouldn't do that to their wives and family. But in my case, my wife is deserves it because she doesn't obey the rules or because she doesn't understand me. So they have a million excuses when it comes to their own bad behavior. Very self-righteous. But they blame the other people for doing it and can condemn them. And that was fascinating in groups of men to see them do that to each other. Not alone that, but uh, some of the more well-off people would explain people's behavior by saying, well, you didn't have the same education as me or you actually uh, don't have the same kind of money as me or it must be awful to be on the dole and those kind of things. So they distance themselves from the other men in the group, which was extraordinary, really, to see it happen. Wow. We're going to delve more into that in the the future podcast. So we'll get down into the the nitty gritty of all the um, ins and outs of this. Um, And like you said, we'll take feedback and questions and everything to help as much as we can um, for anyone who's listening. Yeah, it's, I I love if people are interactive with us, that people can actually come back to us and say, explain that a bit more, or I don't agree with you there. 
because there are no experts in this world about the human condition. Like we have all sorts of psychologists and people explaining to us why this person does this and why this person does that. But actually what we miss is there's a section of our humanity, I suppose, really, where evil exists. Unfortunately. There is no point in being good if we weren't capable of being evil. That's what I say. I mean, we all think, oh, I'm good because I do A, B, or C. A bit of devilment in it all, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and the, the ability to control other people, we all have that as well, because anybody who's reared a child will be doing it all the time. You'll be seducing the child, you'll be grooming the child, you'll be setting the terms and conditions for the child. You'll actually, if you have a number of kids in a family, you will actually have done what these men do initially is they target one child different than the other. So some kids are much more malleable. Some kids are much more compliant. If you have a mother with five children and you ask her, which one of them would you ask to empty the dishwasher? She'll have the child immediately named. And that's because she has targeted that child to control that child. Now, there's nothing wrong with it in the sense that her belief system is a that she needs help, and secondly that it's good for a child to learn how to empty the yeah. dishwasher. So it she sure does is. it for the good <laughs> for the good intentions, but actually she does the selection process. I call it targeting, and we all can do that. Yeah. Teachers in school do it. People do it even uh, in uh, offices in the workplace. Yeah. yeah, you walk into an office, and within an hour, you will know the person that you'll get on best with. You'll know the person who you would ask for help. I I don't know what this button is and you won't ask everybody for that explanation. You'll ask somebody that you're connected with. And that's how we all go through life. We make connections with people. So these men target a particular type of woman and then make those connections. So if we are to, to feel satisfaction from broadcasting this message, I think the most essential thing is for us to realize that what we've been doing up to now hasn't been enough. No. That uh, from the time of COVID, it's become very obvious in this country that we have an epidemic of domestic abuse and the way to channel that and the way to reduce it, I'm not saying we could ever eliminate it, But the first step is to understand it. If we just rush in and feel all sorts of sorry and have great intentions and go about our job as we think we should without understanding what the problem really is, then we won't solve it. So the crucial thing about my message is, especially my first book that I wrote called How He Gets Into Her Head, the book is specifically targeted at people who want to understand how in the name of God did I end up here, right? And most women, when I met them and began working with them, they kept on blaming themselves, saying, I, I'm being abused on, but I was very stupid or I was very naive. Or, or some of the women who would be in more than one abusive relationship would say, I must have fool written across my forehead or something to, to say that I'm back in, in it again. And actually, the only explanation is him, not her. So no woman takes on an abuser if she knows she's going to be abused. That's it. And there's there's 
hundreds, thousands, maybe women out there being treated for mental health illnesses. Absolutely, absolutely. They may not have mental health illnesses. The only problem might be the person they're living with at home. But when they go and they speak to someone, whether it's their GP or psychologist, whoever, they don't have the language to explain what's going on. They're confused and they're blaming themselves. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right, Sharon. And worse than that, they actually don't even know what's going on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they're examining the wrong person. They're examining themselves. They're looking at, geez, I didn't do that right. Or no wonder he was upset. Or am I too sensitive because he said this and I started crying or whatever other way I got upset. Or am I supposed to be available to him every night in bed that suits him? Yeah. Or do I have any uh, integrity in the bedroom, which they don't. These guys don't allow that. Yeah. So all these things play on the woman's mind and she becomes completely focused on him. I remember one of my clients way back in the early 90s telling me, Don, I go around talking to him all day in my head. And I said, oh, God, I couldn't get my I couldn't understand that at all. But when I began to check with my other clients, they said, yeah, we have this conversation with him. We're talking to him or talking about him all day long, even though he's not around, even though we're doing other things, we're carrying out our work we're in the office, we're in the shop and we're doing our jobs. But actually, in the back of our head, we're talking to him or we're wondering how will we deal with him or we're wondering if and when he comes home tonight, what kind of form will he be in? Or when we go shopping, we're saying, I can't buy that because he'll rear up if I come home with oranges. What the feck uh, do, do we need oranges for? So I won't buy oranges, even though I'd love to be able to buy them. So he's with her 24 hours a day once he's invaded her space. Well, that's exhausting. That's It's exhausting, but it does something much more damaging in that it separates the woman from her own intuition. And being a woman, and especially being a mother, you need to operate from your intuition. Yeah. There isn't any point in reading all the books that are available on parenting because none of them are written about your child. Your yeah. child is unique or your children. And so in order to be a parent to that particular group of children, you have to have your own intuition, your own gut instinct. And when you are living with an abuser, that's part of the initial control process is to separate you from your own intuition by being told you're effing stupid or you haven't a fecking clue or you're, um, Terrible. you're way off uh, and, and, and whatever you're saying is wrong and I know best. So the woman actually doesn't at any level tune into her own gut instincts and she begins to rely on him for the decisions and she goes along yeah. with them even though her gut is screaming at her. And it is, I suppose scientifically becoming more evident that the other area that the woman loses is her ability to manage her own emotions. And our emotions are really a strong part of our lives. Mm -hmm. And it isn't our humor or it isn't our mood. It's our emotions that actually drag away our energy. So if we're all anxious and if we're all concerned, then we get tireder and more worn out and we lose confidence and we lose the ability to make our own decisions, quick decisions or slow decisions. It just fades away over a period of time. And you will meet women who will say, well, I met my friend from school last week and she said, my God, Mary, you've changed a lot. And I didn't think I'd change at all, she said. Like, but, <laughs> you know, yeah. 
the change is obvious to other people because the spark has gone out yeah. and they're no longer intuitive. They're no longer able to make their own decisions. They're no longer able to comment on what's going on around them. They're so caught up in his message and listening to his voice in her head that they lose touch with the real person. So the real Mary gets hidden. The real Mary disappears bit by bit because when she tries to be herself, she's condemned and attacked. And that is the root of all the aggression. Like I have met women who come to me and say, well, Don, I'm not like the rest of the women now who are abused and I'm not a battered woman, certainly. And like he's never done anything really to me. But eventually it emerges that they are equally controlled. Mm -hmm. And the reason why there is no aggression or uh, attacks of any description is because they're compliant. Yeah. So a woman who doesn't challenge him yeah. will not experience the aggression. And the life has been sucked out of them. Yes. Yeah. And then when they do challenge, if they do challenge, that's when things take a step. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm convinced of that that uh, first of all, let's be clear, there are um, a population of women who are compliant anyway, mm -hmm. that that's how they were brought up, that's how they became adult, and they go through life keeping the peace. And no matter what it is that they're told to do or that's required of them, they will do it just to keep the peace, even though it costs them something in their own spirit. Uh, they will still comply with the demands of other yeah. people. And they, they don't just do it at home, they do it outside of home as well, or they do it with their own siblings or their own parents. So th th there's that group of women who are, they're tailor-made <laughs> to be um, abused. And if you go back into other cultures, there are certain cultures where these women are almost raised that way to be compliant and to keep their fecking mouth Be quiet shot and meek. And, 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 meek yeah, and yeah. just do what you're told. Yeah. That's your role in life. So th this is a process which for some men, they don't have to, a huge amount of energy wasted in terms of controlling their wives. The wives come already almost set up to be controlled. Yeah. But then if they meet somebody who is bright and energetic and has a mind of her own, uh, they need to get rid of that. And the, the strange thing is that when I started working first, a lot of my colleagues and some of the literature that I read kept telling me that there's something wrong with a woman who allows herself to be controlled. And I found that very difficult and very kind of condemnatory in terms of blaming the woman. She's mm. a stupid woman or she is too compliant or she's this or that. And so the reason why she's suffering is her own fault, if yeah. you know what I mean. And it's insulting, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I began to look at the women that I was meeting and I realized that these women were grand people. They mightn't be completely energetic when I'd meet them because they would have lived for 15, 20 years with a guy who wanted to destroy them. And I was always conscious of the fact that if I was living in that relationship, I would either take to the vodka or the Valium or the river. But I could not live the way these women were living. And I said to myself, how does this person get out of bed every morning and face the same kind of abuse repeatedly and constantly? 
And these women, they got my admiration right from the beginning and I began to explore a little bit better about what kind of women they were before they were abused. Okay. And every woman that I met, every woman that I asked a question to, I discovered that they were all primarily kind people. Okay. They were the people who went out of their way to be nice to other people. Okay. And even some of them would say, even when I was when they were going to school, their school friends would come up to them and, you know, they'd be telling them how miserable they were or what's t what was tough in life for them. And these girls were listening to it even at that stage and they were responding to it as kindly as they could. Yeah. So kind people, unfortunately, are targets for these men. And Opposites the, attract, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, I, you see, I don't think the kind woman is attracted. Okay. She is seduced okay. and she is lied to. But if she actually knew that yeah. this guy was so completely opposite to her the first <laughs> day, she'd tell him to take off and that was it. You know, she yeah, wouldn't yeah. stay they, involved with him. They portray themselves as something different at the beginning. To Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. completely differently. And the, the, the process is called grooming. And everybody would say to me, you know, well, Don, they're, they're married now four or five years and it's only now that um, there's a bit of trouble there or things aren't going so well. And I'll say, no, the process started the day he met her. Okay. And this is one of the really interesting things we learned from the groups of men back in the 90s was that they would target a kind woman. And if they were... Uh, I suppose, approaching some woman or if they were trying to make a connection or build a relationship with some woman, they would know within an hour whether this woman was kind or not. Oh. And they would know it not by how she treated them because women would be a little bit reserved and they wouldn't be going around uh, hugging everybody or anything like that unless they had six or seven glasses of wine. <laughs> but other than that, they'd be quite, you know, sitting there and be quiet in some ways. Yeah. And the men would know it by how they spoke about other people. Okay. So if the girl they were trying to make a go with was giving out about other people or gossiping about other people yeah. or complaining about their mothers or their sisters or whatever, then they would say, no, we're not going to make any attempt yeah. to control this person. She's too That's much up, up her own head. But if they meet somebody who even talks about her colleagues at work or her siblings at home and talks about them in a kind way and with a bit of sympathy about what they're going through or anything like that, the men are immediately encouraged because okay. that's what they want. They want somebody in their lives who will treat them with sympathy and with kindness. And look after them and do everything. Uh, or and, eventually yeah, yeah. do everything yeah, for them yeah. then at the drop of a hat. They, they need to be trained as you oh, know, how to yeah. know what everything is. But that's what they, they'll target. That's the aim. The aim of it is. And the second, uh, I suppose, characteristic that a woman has that gets abused is she must be loyal. Okay. She will not, you know, if he steps out of line or if he gets rowdy or if he swears at her or whatever, she won't run home to her mother the following day or her colleagues at work, she won't say it to them. She'll keep yeah. it to herself. Yeah. Because she doesn't want people to know the depth of their relationship or what's going on in, in yeah. their relationship. So she's loyal to him. And that's a very useful kind of a tool for him to know that she will not portray him that easily. Yeah. And so they can be in a relationship for 15 or 20 years 
before she starts to challenge that in her own head and say, I can't be loyal to him anymore. This is not good for me. Yeah. So she'll keep it all inside. Yeah. She'll keep it all inside. And, you know, people condemn her for that, saying, oh, you should have told us. And why didn't you tell us years ago? And that's the reason why she doesn't want to tell. It's part of the reason why. The other part of the reason is that she realises that his behaviour is beyond explanation. Yes. Right? So she doesn't have a language which says, actually, this is what he's doing. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? It does, but the vocabulary, the language to, yeah, to To even talk to someone, even if you wanted to talk to someone, Mm -hmm. to actually have the the words and the vocabulary and the language to try and explain it. Yeah. Yeah. So she's going around and her energy is spent mainly trying to figure out why she can't get her head around it. So even that piece of it, she blames herself for. It isn't yeah. that he's so subtle and so cunning that she won't know what he's doing. Because actually, why can't I explain it? Or why am I feeling so bad and don't know why? That's the problem. Exactly. Yeah. It's very hard then to get help, isn't it? You know. Well, that's what makes yeah. it so difficult. It you, you you go and knock on a door, or you go to, initially. You'll probably go to your friend or your family, and people said to me at the beginning, you know, Don, these men, they're always lying. They don't tell the truth anyway. And I said, well, actually, both parties lie. Mm-hmm. I said, women never tell the truth. They'll tell the tiniest bit of what's going on. Because 90% of the time they're ashamed to tell the reality of their relationships. Yeah. And so unless they're really confident and really close to the person that they're discussing it with, they won't begin to reveal the true extent of the damage that's happening to them. And so they keep it at a very minimum level. And then most of the people then dismiss it and say, well, sure, most relationships are difficult and like my fella does that sometimes and yeah. it's all dismissed then and she gets no help. That's and that, that sends her back into her little box and she doesn't know what to do. Yeah, so it can take years for someone to get out of it. You know, if they start talking to their friends, like you said there, their friends might turn around and go, oh, geez, I know what you're talking about. My fella's the same, blah, blah. But it's it's kind of more like banter rather than actual yes, yes. listening to or making excuses for the man's behaviour. Go, oh, sure, he's probably so tired, like he's working all the time Absolutely. and, you know, give him a break. Absolutely. Um, he's probably coming home wrecked from, you know, being out. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just the men making excuses for their behaviour. I think society makes excuses for oh, for this I, kind I, of behaviour as well. I've been accused of being very nasty when I say this, but actually it goes back to a guy called Adam and Eve. Okay. Because that story was written by somebody, a bloody genius, I can assure you, but it was a man. Okay. And the story technically blames Eve for all the evil in the world, right? That's right. (laughs) So women have been blamed for all the problems in the world ever since. Yeah. And it is much easier to approach the problem if you've somebody to blame and women become the target. So other women are as good at blaming women as the men are. I remember we were starting the groups where I worked originally, and we invited four or five women to join the team. And we had a kind of a conversation to see where their uh, approach was to the issue. And two of the women in the group applying for the roles said very clearly, my Jesus, if it was my fellow was doing that, I'd, I'd kill him or I'd run away from him or whatever. So they had the answer already. 
So we said to ourselves, we don't want those people on the team because they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. So yeah. that's what happens. People set themselves up as expert. You have them in, in the media and in books and all of that, and they actually don't know what the problem is. Yeah, yeah. They think they do. But oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you think you know what the problem is, you think you know what the answer is as well. And that's where the thing just goes on and on and on. Yeah. We have to realize that everybody in the position is different. Yeah. And everybody has got into the position in a different way. And also, everybody is dealing with a different man. Yes. So it's quite layered and quite complicated. And as soon as I hear people with the simple answers, I say, well, they won't solve anything anyway. This is a difficult problem. It's been there for thousands of years. Yeah. It's unfortunately supported by most cultures and by most religions. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we're dealing with. And while we are consumed by, uh, I suppose, the very prominent cases that have emerged over the last few years where women have been murdered by their yeah. intimate partners, there is a lot more going on and there is a lot more responsibility that needs to be shared. Yeah. And unfortunately, when I say this out loud, I get castigated. But we're all responsible in a way. It is our jobs as human beings. It is our jobs as parents, as fathers and mothers. It is our job as men to actually take a lead on this issue because it's a man's problem. And until a group of men will take on board that they will help to solve it, we will make no progress because women aren't heard. Women are given the platform, but actually they can talk all they like. But at the end of the day, people say, I know better. And yeah. I'm not taking that on board. So we need men to say this is a man's problem and that men will say we want to do something about it. Yes. And parents, um, like I have a, I have a son and my mantra in raising my son is that I want to raise a man that your daughter doesn't have to recover from. Well, that is a brilliant aim. And one of the things I, I would want to say to all the audience today is that it's probably the most harmful and nastiest thing that psychology and experts have said over the last 30 years is that if you're husband is an abuser, there is more likely a chance that your son will be an abuser. And that is very cruel yeah. and very wrong. I don't believe that. Yeah, no, yeah. It, but it's said all oh, the time yeah, yeah. and it is so cruel. So we would like to explain, I suppose, uh, how that isn't true yeah. and, and how the possibility of men who are brought up in the most benign circumstances, in the most loving and caring circumstances, are there as much likely to become an abuser as somebody who has had a rough upbringing. Yeah. The difference is that the people with the rough upbringing are exposed to all sorts of scrutinies about everything else, and the people with what we would call the reasonable upbringing are actually hidden from being examined by their parents, by their status okay. in the community. And I was doing this work at the beginning and my dad, who had really no interest in what I was doing really much, I just to see uh, that I was doing something useful. He said, uh, the question I have, he said, Don, is how do 
good parents have bad children. Okay. And I said, well, maybe you're putting the good and the bad in the wrong place. Okay. <laughs> so that's what we might need to examine. Yeah, yeah. That how we rear our men might be questionable. Okay. And I suppose school, would school, teachers, society, sports clubs, would they all play a part as well? Huge. Or? huge. Yeah. Like the, the, the language and the attitude and how women are treated treated in society is really nowhere near the standard it should be. Yeah. And it goes on in all sorts of locations and in all sorts of settings. And if we are to change it, we need to challenge it everywhere. Yeah. I, I have a real concern that when, as soon as education is mentioned, it is directed at women. Oh, right. Okay. So we need to educate. Yeah. Like hell. <laughs> it's not a woman's problem. You no. can educate women all day, all you like about what's going on. But the really crucial thing is to educate men yeah. and to get them to recognize that how they behave is as important when they're teenagers and young men as it is when they are parents and adults so that they will recognize that if they're fathers of daughters, that they don't want their daughters to grow up in a world where there are abusive men around every corner. Yeah. For the simple reason that, and people don't seem to want to know this, but one in four men who are in relationship are actually abusive. Yeah. And we all know so many couples. Yes. So we'll be out on Saturday night now looking back <laughs> up and we'll be saying to us, Jesus, I wonder is he an abuser now or whatever. And that's what we will be finding out yeah. that out of every group of people that we know, one in four men are abusing their controlling their partners, like I said, because some of the women aren't abused, they're just compliant. Yeah. But for the rest of the women, they're actually being manipulated and undermined and degraded yeah. constantly. Yes. So um, in the next podcast, we'll be delving into that. And also, hopefully, for the women who know that there's something wrong, they have that feeling that there's something wrong, but they can't explain it. Yes. Yeah. We hope to be able to give them the, the language and the vocabulary to be able to recognize what's going on and to be able to speak about it and the avenues to, to get help as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose my first part of my process that I would like to do for every woman who's being abused is to actually not talk to her about her but actually to talk to her about him. Yeah. How she got there is all about him, how he got her into that situation, how he twisted her mind. And so if we can begin to explore that with abused women, they will shift the blame from themselves, which they're carrying at the moment. And a lot of my clients would say, gee, Don, that's a weight off my shoulders. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. It's him. <laughs> yeah. So would we leave it like that for today? Thanks, John. We'll wrap that up for today. That's our first session. Um, we have a lot more to talk about. Coming up, we're going to have three more episodes at least for three different areas. The first area will be for people who are currently living in the situation, how we can help, whether it's to give you the language um, to recognise what's going on or to show you um, ways of, of getting out of the situation. The second one is for people who are leaving the situation or who have left but are still experiencing abuse, what they can do. And the third one then will be for people who work with abused women to give them the tools 
and to help with any questions um, and education that they might want going forward. Thank you so much for your insight and uh, the information today. Thanks um, to Elaine as well, yeah. who's helping us out here today. <laughs> Thank our you so much. Our producer. <laughs> our producer. So I have been Sharon King. My name is Don Hennessy. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to follow us online on social media. And we would really like you to get in contact. You can contact us through our social media or our email address. If you have any questions, we are very happy to speak with you. So stay tuned for our next session. We will be back, that's for sure. Thanks very much.